Welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today we have a special guest, uh, dancer, teacher, uh, educator, Willie Hinton from New York City. Willie moved to to Raleigh and began dancing uh, in his teens at the Inlow High School Magnet School of the Arts, uh, later at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. He received a scholarship to study at the American Dance Festival in Durham uh, and at the Governor's School here in North Carolina. Uh, In 2013, the American Dance Festival awarded Willie the Chuck Davis Scholarship. Willie has also received a trustees scholarship at the prestigious University of the Arts in Philadelphia. He was on full scholarship with the Alvin Ailey School. Uh, He has also toured nationally and internationally with the Rebecca Kelly Dance Company out of New York, Jubilations Dance Company, the Philadelphia Dance Company, and Dance Kaleidoscope uh, in Indiana. Um, Willie has been a guest dancer with Chuck Davis's African American Dance Ensemble. Locally, he dances with both the Carolina Ballet and the Raleigh City Ballet. Willie's also a teacher. He has taught dance to students at all levels in North Carolina and across the country. He has been a guest choreographer with North Carolina State University, North Carolina Central, and recently the Justice Theater Project. He's also taught dance at the Dance Institute of Washington, D.C., the National Dance Institute out in New Mexico, the School of the Performing Arts in Richmond, and here in the Triangle at both the Longleaf School of the Arts and the Walltown Children's Theater in Durham. On January 26th, Burning Coal Theater Company will open Lynn Nottage's beautiful and mournful Malima's Tale, choreographed by Willie Hinton. Uh, Willie, uh, welcome to Burning Coal, and welcome to Into the Fire. Thank you. As you were reading that, I was like, wow, (laughs) I've done a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had that memorized. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, it's an honor for us to have you. Uh, let's uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, New York City. Uh, uh, which of the boroughs uh, were you from? And I am from Staten Island. Um, both of my parents are from North Carolina. They both graduated from HBCUs, and then they moved to New York and um, met and had us. And uh, my grandparents were still living here when I was living in. Um, New York. And so we would come down every summer. And so my family decided, well, my parents decided that we wanted to move back down south. So we moved back here in the 80s. And that's when I discovered dance. It's funny that I discovered dance here as opposed to being in New York. Right, which is thought of more as an arts uh, mecca um, Staten Island, perhaps not not as much. No, but, no, uh, no, no. <laughs> um, you had uh, you had siblings. Uh, how many? Uh, yes, um, I have a brother that passed away in 2012, and then I have a sister here, um, Rosalind Hinton Owen, who resides in uh, Roseville, North Carolina. And is she an artist as well? No, my sister is an entrepreneur. Um, she is a licensed uh, a loctician, which is uh, she 
deals with natural hair and she's an esthetician um, skincare. And then she also is uh, Prime America, the insurance people she does. She does a lot. So, yeah. In the insurance field as well. Good. Yes. Well, that's good. Um, and uh, so you were around uh, 15 or 16. And do you remember the, the experience that happened that first led you to want to be a dancer? Oh, my God. Yes. You know, it's funny because I talk about this all the time. Dance had always been in me. It had not revealed itself to me. So I've always had the passion because I remember when I lived in New York when I was when I was younger, whenever I would hear a piece of classical music, I would dance to it. But I had never seen a ballet. I had never seen a classical ballet, whether it was on television, in life, I mean, real life, whatever, I had never seen it. But for some reason, I knew when that music hit my spirit, I had to move. And it wasn't until I moved down here when I was looking at schools, because I was originally slated to go to Garner Senior High School. But I was like, no, that's a country school. I want to go to Enloe because Enloe had just turned into this magnet school. And it was slated as a magnet school, but it was like more of a performing arts high school. And it had dance. And I was just like, I want to take dance. I didn't know why I wanted to take dance. I just had to take a dance class. And so my first dance class was when I was in 10th grade. And do you remember the the teachers that you yes, had? Yes, Patty Mark. Yes, yeah. Patty Marks, Betty Kovac, Robin Harris, uh, L.D. Burris. Uh, who else? Who else? What else? L.D. Burris, Chuck Davis. I had met Chuck Davis then. Mm -hmm. And who else? Freddie Lee Heath. You know, so I, yeah, I, when I was thrusted into dance, I was among the greats. Freddie Lee is now the arts uh, person at White County Public Schools. He's He's got the the big job now. Um, mm -hmm. Robin uh, Robin Harris choreographed several shows for us. Uh, mm. you know, she's recently moved, I think, out to Denver. I want to say, but um, but yeah, she was a choreographer for uh, when we did Hair and uh, wow. a couple of other shows. Yeah, she's quite an extraordinary uh, yeah. artist. Uh, and um, the, you know, the the theater has this sort of um, not so unspoken idea that. That women have a have a shorter shelf life than than men do. I think that's mm -hmm. changing a little bit. Mm -hmm. But in the dance world, um, everybody kind of has a short shelf life. <laughs> rigors of the the yes. business. If my arithmetic is great, you cor correct. You've been doing this for more than thirty years. Then yes, I started like I said, sixteen, and I am fifty five now. And I have actually had a very my career was continuous. There was never a, a lull in my career. It was always, you know, sometimes I had to like literally take a break because I was, which is a blessing, but I was being asked to do stuff. And I was just like, I don't want to, you know, I was tired, you know, because as a dancer, you know, we get physically tired because it's a, obviously it's a physical art form. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes your body is like rest you know, rest. And especially as you get older, you know, your joints are not as <laughs> lubricant, you yeah. know, um, and you just, you're not at your prime, at least that's what I think. But I was talking to a colleague of mine and they were like, well, Willie, you're not supposed to be where you were, you mm -hmm. know, because that was back then. You're in a different phase in your career now. And so what you, what you lack in maybe the physical, you make up for it in wisdom and experience. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that would be true of, of all artists or should should be true of all artists. Did you, when you first started out, was it 
dance, 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 or was <laughs> choreography and uh, and teaching part of the the vision for your future as well? Oh, it was dance, dance, dance. Like at Enlo, you know, okay. And it's funny because I was talking about this last night. Um, you know, there's, you know, different studios and conservatories around, you know, the community. I didn't know that when I started dancing. And so my only training was in low, you know, it was Monday through Friday, you know, the first two years, the first two years I was taking two hours of dance, you know, and it was considered an honors course. And so I didn't have to take gym. My last year, you know, I had all my credits, you know, to graduate and I asked if I can add an additional dance class and they said yes. And so that meant I was taking four hours of dance every day. But what they did was, you know, that the second dance class was during my lunch and, you know, it's, you know, you have to take lunch. And so they said, well, instead of you taking a lunch, you can take a dance class and we'll bring your lunch to you in the dance studio. And so in between exercises, I would go grab a bite to eat. You know, I would go, you know, take something to drink, sip, sip on something to drink, and I would go back and I would dance. Yeah. And I did that with my entire senior year. Goodness, uh, that sounds a little bit like my senior year, except without the the, the leaps and uh, <laughs> pirouettes and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, were there others there uh, with that kind of drive, with that kind of initiative as well? No, it was only me. It was only me and my teachers. And it's that, you know, my teachers saw something and that's why they allowed me to do that, because they were like this young man, you know, he has a gift before I even knew it. I just knew that I loved it. I didn't know that I was kind of good. You know, I just knew that how it made me feel. And often I would stay after class, you know, after school and I would just dance after dancing all day. You know, I danced even more and I would just have my private time in the studio and I would just I would just feel the space, you know. And were you were you choreographing in no. your mind? At that time? no. No, I was just, actually, I probably was because this, because I love improvisation. I love the art of improvisation. I love the art of just, you know, being in the moment. And so I did a lot of that, not knowing that that was going to carry me over into my career because I love improvisation. I've actually done shows where it was all improv based. Have you had to, I'm curious, because uh, I, I, improv is not a word of, one associates with dancers, but it makes perfect sense as you as you talk about it. Have you had an experience as a choreographer where you remembered something from that from that period in your life and went, oh, I can use that now. Now I know what that's for, you know, mm -hmm. or something. Is that does that mm -hmm. happen to you? It happens. Well, actually, all the time. I remember I choreographed this piece called Strange Fruit and it was all improv based. But somebody actually videotaped it and or recorded it. And actually, when I went back and I viewed the video, I was just like, wow, I can actually use that material and choreograph an actual piece as opposed to improv. And so I tell a lot of my students, whether they're doing a choreo choreographic workshop with me, I say, get into the studio, press, press record and just improv and then go back and extract material from that because you can get a lot of material out of like a two minute improv. And actually, we have like with um, Preston in Malima, you know, um, I'm giving him the basic structure, but some of his work, because I want it to be organic, is, is based off of improvisation. And he's doing a really, really fabulous job, you know, with the guidance. I was uh, thinking about the language of choreography. Um, 
you know, in the theater, we say, uh, go upstage left and sit in the chair, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and after a minute, even novices understand what up, upstage left is. Mm -hmm. But I imagine it's much more complicated in the dance world. Uh, do you have your own version of that or is there a standard? It's a standard. But then within the standard, you know, we do have our dance lingo, you know, like, for an example, um, we would say right before performance, we would say mayor, you know, right. or we would say we're going to run it again or we would say let's take it to the edge you know we would say mm -hmm. you know you twirled or we would say all right y'all you're going to live in this moment you know and so we do have our own lingo you know and sure. um it's just but you know what i feel like the same way with with actors when i'm in the room with anna you know it's it's i'm hearing a different language than i'm used to and i love it you know because i try to connected to dance like okay she just said that okay how can i connect that with dance yeah that's uh, that's very interesting i imagine each uh, you know in in music you know there are notes on a page uh, right and um, even if you're improvising at some point you can go back and write those notes on mm -hmm. a page mm -hmm. um, with dance it's more recording it video recording yes. and, so you're not yes. writing out uh, no. using yeah. a language yeah that's interesting um, and then uh, the other question I wanted to ask you is, when you um, are teaching, are you looking for another Willie Hinton? Is that, <laughs> is that the part of the objective there? Or, uh, what is the objective? The objective is to give them what I was given. You know, I had a lot of amazing teachers and choreographers come into my, into my life and they left, you know, they left marks and they left their spirit and they left their artistry you know inside me and so i feel like it's my artistic duty to pass the baton and so i don't really look for another willie hinton because the world is enough with me and so we don't need any more me and so um <laughs> and so and so i just look for those students that are hungry and you can tell it in their eyes um let me ask you this question um uh, i saw a um a show, a, a musical uh, comedy, uh, several years ago, um, a, a Billy Elliot, you know, mm -hmm. the which mm -hmm. is about a young man who wants mm -hmm. to dance. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the interesting things about the production is that they had people in the play dancing that did not have the body types that mm -hmm. one normally associates with dancers. Is it possible for a person to have the fire, to have the spirit and the passion? but not to physically be able to dance or, yeah. or is it, is there a way to become a dancer regardless of your, your physical um, presence? It's changing now. Um, thank goodness. But back in the day, it was very much, okay. Yes, you can dance, but you don't look the part, you know, mm -hmm. you don't fit in with the aesthetic of the dance company, you know, because a lot of dance companies, they want us to all look the same, especially in the ballet world. But it's starting to change now. The aesthetic is about, you know, the, the 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 feel of the company as opposed to, okay, she's a little heavier than that girl over there. You know, people are like, if she can dance, she can dance, you know. And so luckily it is changing. And I'm so glad because I was in a position where, you know, our bodies were like, we were constantly being monitored, you know, in terms of our weight. And uh, luckily I don't have that problem, but some of my friends would. And there were times where if you if, if your name appeared on the fat list, you did not perform. Mm. 
it sounds almost like uh, jo jockeys and horse races. Very and, much so. Um, uh, the, um, I, I, I think, and I'm speaking way out of my league because I'm not in that field at all, but but part of the the beauty and the kind of magic of, of dance has to do with the, the human body yeah. pushing the boundaries of, yes. of what is physically yes. and, and emotionally possible. And so I would think that 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 would not have a, a baseline, you know, that yes. if your if your body is is here, then how much can you push that? If it's here, how much can you push that would be equally dynamic and interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I think, in other words, I think it's an old, uh, uh, an old fashioned idea. And I'm glad to hear that it's, it's starting to, to go is. the way of uh, many other old fashioned ideas. Um, so, actually, yeah, oh, oh, there's a company in New York, Bill T. Jones, and he actually started, um, I, I guess, going against what the typical dancer should look like. And his dance company is so diverse. And I remember I had seen his company at ADF at the American Dance Festival. Yeah. And as I, was, as I was sitting there, I was just in awe because he had like a, a, a big guy on stage and this guy was dancing and I could not take my eyes off of him because I was just like, that is against the norm of what I was taught. But look at him look at him and I looked at him more so than I looked at any other like the slimmer dancers because mm -hmm. it was like this guy was saying I belong out here you know don't look at my size look at what I'm giving look at the story that I'm telling with my body that I'm proud to be in and you could tell he was proud to be in it it might be a way to make sure that that the next generation of youngsters don't have the experience you have of never having seen dance uh, up until into your teens. You know, okay. if if dancers look more like the average person on the street, then maybe the average person on the street will want to look at them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I and I deal with that. You know, of course, you know, the dance world is full of, you know, the eating disorders and stuff. And mm -hmm. as a teacher, you know, we have to really recognize that and we have to really really actually we have to study our dancers you know you know we have to study them in terms of the artistic you know abilities and we also have to study them mentally like okay where are you you know i want to make sure that you're okay because a lot of these dancers they they want to be perfect you know perfectionism they have to go for that i have to be perfect i'm like no you have to be perfectly imperfect because that's that's is what that's what's going to make you perfect you know but i think I'm the only one that's telling them that. I don't know if they're hearing other things, you know, like have to, you have to have this and you have to have that. And when you hear you have to, you have to, you have to, then it starts to get ingrained in you. And then you begin to look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I don't have it right now. And then we start picking ourselves apart because we're in front of a mirror, you know, hours on end. And to stand in front of the mirror and just look at yourself all the time, you start to pick things apart. You know, and I'm That's really why cognizant. I avoid it like the plague. <laughs> yes. And I really, you know, I'm really cognizant of my dancers looking at themselves, but looking at themselves in a way that you say, I am OK. I am OK. Yeah, I think we need more more of that kind of teacher in the world. Um, I know you choreographed the color purple for the Justice mm -hmm. Theater project a couple of years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, about Three or four that, years ago. Was that your first foray into theater? Uh, or had no. You 
No, no, no. Actually, I've done a lot of musical theater because it kind of broke the monotony of concert dance. And so I did a lot of theater in Indianapolis. It was the American Cabaret Theater. And it was just something that I did on the side. And I choreographed um, some musicals and I performed and actually I did cabaret with them, which was crazy fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. In Philadelphia, I did Black Nativity. In Richmond, Virginia, I did Black Nativity. In Indianapolis, I did Black Nativity. And so I've always done musicals, you know, because again, it just was a way for me to step outside of my world and, you know, become an actor or become a singer. Is, um, is Malima's Tale your first non-musical? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Do you see any differences? Are you, are you having any experiences that are surprising you at all? No, I love it. I love it. I love being in the room with these actors who are just, you know, they're about their craft. You know, I love just sitting back and watching Anna just kind of shape the room and shape the play and just, you know, give the actors the information and and then allowing the actors to, to digest the information and then make it, make something happen, you know? And then, you know, when I talk to the actors, I talk to them in dance lingo and, and they get it, you know, mm-hmm. they get it, you know? And so it's just, it's amazing. I'm loving, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I really am. Uh, any, uh, any thoughts about the play itself? Uh, it's, it's kind of an allegory, I guess, uh, uh, about, um, I mean, it uses the, the illegal ivory trade as a starting point, but I don't, I'm not sure it's really about that. You know, I mm-hmm. think it, it may be more about um, how, how the world is our, you know, our resource uh, collectively and, and how mm-hmm. little attention we're paying to that as a, as a people, do you, do you, uh, are, do you have anything uh, you'd like to say about Malima's tale or about the I, experience? I do. Well, I think I told you I had gone to Africa in 2018 and the, the very first monologue that Malima does, you know, it was exactly what I experienced in Africa. I had never been to Africa. And when we, when we arrived, we arrived at night. And so I couldn't really fully take in Africa, but that next day when I woke up, I literally, literally heard the ancestors say, welcome home. You know, I, I promise you, you know, as I was, you know, walking around downtown Nairobi, you know, I was looking and I was feeling and I was hearing. And then when we went on safari, you know, it was the same thing. I had a chance to put my feet, you know, in the African soil, you know, and the sun, as the sun hit my skin, I promise you, the sun was like, you are familiar to me. I know your skin, you know, and then we went to an elephant orphanage and just to see the elephants and how they related to the earth because they were the same color as the dirt, you know, and it was like, wow, look at that, you know, and it was just the feel of Mother Africa is indescribable. You know, it's, it's, the experience was more artistic, but it, I left more spiritually, um, I, I guess, full, you know, because it was just very spiritual. And I feel like that's what the play is. The play is about this, this spiritual journey, you know. Were you uh, there as a, as part of a dance company when you, when you went to Africa? No, I went to teach. I was commissioned to teach out there. It was me and my director of Graceful Expressions, April Schweitzer, and then another colleague of mine, Princess Howell Johnson. She's the artistic director of Royal Expressions in Greensboro. And then we went out there to uh, work with uh, Mike uh, Mawaya, 
Um, he is actually the director of this dance program in Kabira. And it's it was the most amazing experience to go because a year before that, I had seen the video that he had made, he had created. Um, and we actually got a chance to be with this man who is like this global, you know, artistic director and founder of this dance program in one of the like largest slums in uh, Nairobi or Kenya. And so we went out there and just to experience that, Jerry, it was the moment we walked into Kabira, the thing I remember the most was the smell. The smell was like horrific. You know, and then on top of that, seeing all the sewage, the raw sewage and, you know, the dirt and the garbage. And it was just like, wow, people are living in these conditions. But Jerry, I promise you, I heard nothing but laughter. Mm -hmm. I heard nothing but laughter from the kids, you know, the, the, the adults. They would dress up just to sit on their stoop. You know, women would sweep, you know, the dirt in front of their house because they wanted their dirt to look you know, and it was just eye-opening. It was very eye-opening. And you you taught uh, to people who mm -hmm. lived there. You you mm -hmm. uh, were able to talk. And was there a language barrier, or were you nope. able to speak? Yeah, yeah, they speak English. Yeah, they speak English, and they ate it up. You know, and a lot of the times the kids were coming from school, and so they had their school uniforms on, and um, a lot of the school uniforms were, you know, ragged, you know, dirty, holes in it. But you know what? They stood, and they stood proud. You know, they were like, "I'm here." You know, give us, give us some food. You know, it was. I didn't want to come back. I honestly did not want to come back to the states because it took me a minute to reacclimate myself being back in the states. Yeah. We um, we have, I think the statistic is 5% of the world's population, but uh, we use 25% of the world's resources. Mm. Uh, and that means uh, somebody else somewhere else is not uh, able to to share in those things, um, which is uh, which is a big problem and something that has to be uh, gotten over and, and will only be gotten over at the leadership level, you know, at the top mm -hmm. level. Um, it would be nice to think that individuals could could contribute to that in some way. And I guess in small, small ways we can, but, but until our leadership makes those kinds of uh, decisions, we're not going to, um, not going to see enough movement to really impact anything. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that there is joy and uh, to be found in, in, um, in, in even the most dire of circumstances. Um, was. I mean, I know that April, my director, she does annual fundraisers and we send, you know, dance clothes over there. We send, you know, supplies, books and things like that still. And we were going to, we were planning. Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask, is there a, is there a website or something that people could go to, to contribute to that? Uh, yes, it is. And I'm have to look it up. Uh, so I, I'll look it up and I will give you the website. Okay. What is the lady's name or the company's name? Okay. So. April Schweitzer, she is the founder of Graceful Expressions. In and, uh, Greensboro, you said? No, in Cary, actually. Um, oh. Yeah, so April Schweitzer is in Cary. And we just moved into a new building. We've been there for a year. And yes. April Schweitzer is the most wonderful, giving person ever. And she was the one, like I said, who commissioned me to go and teach in Africa and pay for the entire thing. And, you know, she's constantly giving, constantly giving, constantly giving. And uh, 
Princess Howell Johnson is the same. You know, she also has the connection to, you know, Kabira and to Mike's work, you know, because his work is global. I mean, his work is global. And to see these young people given the opportunity, you know, in their conditions, you know, it just makes you like, wow, there are people out there that truly, truly, truly care about the well-being of these, these, I call them forgotten kids. It looks like uh, gracefuldance.com is the website. Uh, yes. If, yes. I, if I'm looking right now. So. Yes. Okay. Um, Willie, is there anything else you'd like to say about um, about your experience with Malima's Tale or about uh, your work uh, overall as uh, as a representative of the dance community um, during your time here in Raleigh? Is there any, anything you'd like to add as we as we wrap up our uh, our podcast? It's just it's just a pleasure, you know. It's just a pleasure to to work with people who love what they do. You know, it's a pleasure to be in the room, you know, with people who we have shared interests, but with different and we could learn from each other's differences, you know, because, you know, a dancer going into, you know, an actor's rehearsal is, is very different, you know, yeah. from, you know, going into the dance studio and, you know, rehearsing a ballet. And we don't, I, we I don't just, warm up. We don't warm up enough, do we? <laughs> well, you know what? We we started warming up right before. You know, and that's another thing. When we started warming up, you know, I was taking you know the actors through you know a movement you know study, and they were just so free. You know, they were just willing to to to, to step outside their box. But you know what? We are actually the same. An actor and a dancer. We're actually the same person because a dancer uses choreography to speak and an actor uses their words and the words are always moving just like a dancer. And so yeah. we both dance. We just it's dance. Different language. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, exactly. The same exactly. Idea. Yeah, when, when you were talking about uh, improvisation, my first thought was how, how can you do that uh, without language? And then I thought, well, of course you can. It's just, I mean, animals do that. If you watch a birds flying through the air, they're communicating with each other exactly. through movement, for instance. Exactly. Uh, and people do it on the street. You know, we mm -hmm. don't have to uh, say uh, move over to the person or I'm excuse me while I step aside, you know, while, but mm -hmm. we make make ourselves work. If you've mm -hmm. uh, I know you have been in a big, big city, you know what it's like to to, mm -hmm. to navigate those those oh crowds. And yeah. that's that's a kind of dance, uh, probably a very, uh, a very beautiful kind if we had the perspective to. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I have the quick story. Um, during the pandemic, I would always go to Lake Johnson, okay? Because Lake Johnson is like, uh, no, not Lake Johnson, Shelly Lake. Shelly Lake Shelly. is like five minutes from my house. And so one day I was just on the grass and I was just looking up, looking up at the sky and I saw two birds. You know, you know, we take it for granted. We see birds all the time. But right. this particular day, I was watching these birds and they were literally dancing. I mean, there were there were times when they would swoop down together and there were times when the wind would pick up and they would start flapping their wings really hard. And then when the wind died down, all they would do is they would stretch their wings out and they would mm -hmm. just glide up and down. And I was just like, wow, that's that's a cool duet that I'm watching unfold in front of my eyes. You know, mm -hmm. and I had see, never. Hmm? Yeah. You see tension and then relaxation. Yes, yes, yeah. 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 
and it was just really cool to witness. So yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I saw it uh, last summer on my front yard. There were these two rabbits out there, and mm -hmm. they were uh, bouncing up and down uh, in front of each other like two boxers getting mm -hmm. ready to mm -hmm. fight. And one would jump, and then the other would jump, and then both would mm -hmm. jump. And they were m making a circle around each other mm -hmm. as they were doing this. It was the funniest thing, and mm -hmm. I, I had the sense that there was some something being communicated there. Yes. You know? They, yes. they they know what it is. We don't know what it is, but exactly. something's being communicated. Uh, well, it's a, it's a, a beautiful world that we live in in so so many ways, and and one that needs uh, needs some work in, in other ways. Yes. Uh, but I, I I appreciate the work that you're doing uh, uh, with us uh, with uh, with burning coal and and for our community as well. Thank you, Willie Hinton. So thank you very much for for joining us uh, for into the thank fire. Thank you. Today. All right. Thank you so much. Peace and blessings. Thank you for listening. Burning Coal Theatre's production of Malima's Tale will be presented January 26th through February 12th. Tickets and more information are available at burningcoal.org or at 919-834-4001. Malima's Tale is sponsored by The Classical Station. Listen online at theclassicalstation.org or 89.7 FM.